Hi there, it's Tracy here. Just before we jump into our next episode of Understanding EMDR Therapy, I wanted to drop by and thank you so much for being a part of the adventure so far. I also wanted to let you know of some training that's coming up in February that might be of interest to you. So I am a resource therapy trainer. Resource therapy is a type of parts therapy. and Sometimes we refer to it as advanced ego state therapy. It's a wonderful parts therapy that has a protocol that sits alongside it that helps us to know where to go with whatever client presentation uh, comes into our room. It's actually a standalone therapy, a standalone parts therapy. It has some similarities to IFS and is also quite different in many ways. So I had the wonderful opportunity of running a foundation two-day course in February 2024 in beautiful Newcastle. And those dates are Tuesday and Wednesday the 13th and 14th of February in Newcastle. And then straight after that, I'm really excited at running the inaugural Resource Therapy Informed EMDR Intensive Training. So this will be two days where we draw on the excellent protocol and frameworks of resource therapy and you and use those as a framework to help us develop an intensive model of EMDR therapy that is quite strength based strength story adaptive information heavy to be able to help our clients to access those adaptive resources quickly so then we can move into processing and work on a body, a block of therapy in an intensive model. Over the last two years, I have completed over 100 intensives, both in my private practice and also on country, Nengaba Country book. So I feel like I've learned some good things that I'd love to share with you. So if you are interested in either the two-day parts therapy training and then staying on if you're an EMDR therapist to do the resource therapy informed EMDR intensives, we'd love to have you. Jump on to my tracylynch.com.au website. All the details are there. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Yama, welcome friends to Understanding EMDR Therapy. I'm your host, Tracy Lynch, EMDR consultant, clinical counsellor and psychotherapist. And we begin today by paying our respects to all First Nations peoples and our elders, past, present, and future. And I'm coming to you today from Newcastle on Wabakal land, really looking forward to talking today with Sherry Lee Smith. Welcome, Sherry. Hello, Tracy. Hello. Thank you for being here with us today. Well, thank you very much for having me and thank you for creating such a wonderful resource for our EMDR community. Thank you. It's been lovely. It's such a it's such a beautiful opportunity to connect with a lot of members in our community. 
And I'm really interested in what we're going to be yarning about today and one of your specialties being eating disorders. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you. Is it okay if we just settle in with our cuppers and start to have a bit bit of a knowing about you? So can you tell us about your journey with your profession and whatever it is, whatever else there is that you would like us to know about you? So at the moment, I'm the director of the Phoenix Holistic Health Centre, so a psychologist, an EMDR consultant and credentialed eating disorder clinician. But I started my career off as a youth worker Mm -hmm. um, and then worked um, through uni doing youth work Mm -hmm. um, and then transferred across to psychology once I was finished. Um, Mm. So I've done a little bit of work in um, suicide prevention, self-harm, depression, lots of addictions work, Mm -hmm. um, and then that all sort of led across to the eating disorders and then eventually into trauma and dissociation. So it's been a bit of a journey, but it's all sort of, you know, rolled out one step at a time just with the types of client presentations that I was working with. Yeah, yeah. So... The work that you did in youth in youth work all those years ago, how do you feel like it informed your learning in your psychology studies? So a lot of the um, clients that I was working with at the time, it was in mostly accommodation settings, so lots of um, Department of Child Protection um, children and young people that had been removed from their homes, and um, it was just a you know safe place for them to learn independent living skills and things like that so I I think working with them and the experiences they've had has probably somewhat unconsciously I guess influenced where I've ended up which is a lot of attachment related work in the EMGR and the schema therapy that I do. Yeah right so it in many ways it potentially sounds like it was some of the the foundational principles that have gone with you right the way through. Yeah absolutely. Yeah. So when did you first hear about EMDR in your psychology journey? Oh, it was probably early on, but it was one of those therapies that at that point it was on the bit of a fringe of psychology. And it wasn't until I had multiple people suggest, oh, you know, if you want to learn about trauma, you should go and learn about EMDR and looked a bit strange. Um, (laughs) But I think once you've trained in it and you see how effective it is, it's something that you'd put your heart into Mm -hmm. so is there anything in particular that after many years of using EMDR that you feel keeps it really relevant for you like what are some of those main keys uh, for you as a therapist that keeps EMDR a part of your toolkit I think it just works so well and I have so many clients saying to me it's changed my life and so when you're consistently hearing feedback like that then you just keep going with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that piece about it's changed my life um, is it's such an honour isn't it to to be able to have a career that can potentially alter the path of where someone's heading. Yeah. Yeah. So Sherry, uh, you're just mentioning that you've got some fires near where you are to the point where you're able to smell them and 
it's having sort of an effect on just your the, your eyes and things like that. Mm. They're, they're quite close to you at the moment. They are very close. <laughs> very close, yeah. And it, you know, it feels like at the moment as a human race, there is so much going on um, and in terms of constant activation of our nervous system, either through environmental impacts, referendums, wars overseas. Um, how are your clients, what are you noticing about the type of activation that your clients are coming to you with in over the last few years with COVID and all these other things uh, in comparison to years gone by? Are you noticing anything there? I think there just seems to be a lot more of it. And a lot mm. of it all, you know, it tracks back to all the old unprocessed stuff. Yeah. So, you know, if you've got clients that, um, you know, have negative beliefs like I'm not safe, then even if they're, they're over here, if there's some history of that, then events overseas can can activate all those networks for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and I that has been, I think, one of the uh important learning pieces for me in my EMDR journey that there are, I think some I heard it once record uh, referred to as single incident trauma is the unicorn of trauma. Um, and as you said, that whatever is going on in the here and now can almost sort of clump on to other things that have happened. And can you, 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 it sounds like you're really interested in that attachment informed piece. Why, why is that so important to you in your work? Well, I think with the eating disorders and, and the, you know, a lot of those clients are presenting with trauma. A lot of it is attachment related. It's interpersonal. Mm. Um, you know, I think the stats are something like 80% of eating disorder clients have insecure attachment styles and a lot of that leads back to old attachment trauma yeah. um and so, so a lot of the work that I do is you know eating disorders being the symptoms you know it's triggers for current relationships that track back to all the old traumas that they're still holding and have not processed yeah so you meant 80 percent mm. yeah yeah so as we start to have a conversation around one of your specialties, uh, working with eating disorders, it might be really helpful to start by some working definitions. Um, when you think about the population that you're working with, what are, what are some of those definitions that are helpful for you? So many eating disorder clients are going to be presenting with body image issues, uh, not all of them, but often, often there's some sort of dysfunctional relationship with food. So it might be that people are binging, they're emotional eating, they're purging, they're using laxatives, they're over-exercising. Um, you know, there's general patterns in things, but I find that each presentation is generally a little bit different. Okay. And through your EMDR lens, do you see that that behaviour was at some time adaptive for them, or how do you how do you sort of case conceptualise it? Mm, so absolutely. So usually at the time that these sorts of things start, and they often start slowly, it doesn't just jump straight into an eating disorder. But you know, in the original sort of setting, it, it does does become something that's quite adaptive 
Mm. But, you mm. know, sometimes it's childhood, sometimes it's adolescence, sometimes it's adulthood when these things start. But, yeah, generally very adaptive in the beginning and then it's something that becomes more more dysfunctional over time. Yeah. And so what might some clients um, report they that that behaviour gives them? Like what what is your understanding of how that adaptation is serving them? So a lot of the time with the types of clients that I work with, it's very much about emotion regulation, um, can sometimes be about attachment needs. It's about deactivating um, those attachment-seeking mm-hmm. behaviours because that need is not being met elsewhere. Yeah, um, So yeah. food, food, exercise, those sorts of behaviours, they become the answer. Yeah. Right to try yeah. and manage those emotions and those attachment needs. Yeah. So the behaviours are there to serve a purpose that is not being met in another way. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so when you are uh, working with your clients using EMDR, do you feel that there is a need to prep, like do the preparation stage any differently? Are you interested in do you are you building resource figures? Are you can you talk to us a little bit about um, the preparation stage for your clients? So it's a pretty standard thing that I would do would be some attachment-informed resourcing. So we'd be looking at things like protective figures and wise figures and nurturing figures or ideal parent figures, mm-hmm. um, you know, in addition with the standard calm place container type resourcing. Yeah. And yeah. so for potentially for people listening who aren't familiar with attachment-informed EMDR, um, are you able to help us to understand how that might work differently from standard protocol? Mm. So it's something that we will then use current triggers to track back to old stuff. So we'll be using things like affect bridges and float backs to get back to old earlier wounds. Um, and then it's it's a little bit like imagery rescripting as we sort of go in, we desensitise the, the target and then we'll often bring in some kind of attachment repairing to the imagery yeah. while we're doing um, phase four of the EMGR. Mm-hmm. Great. I've recently finished um, part two of the Attachment Informed Unleash with Annabelle um, and just being able to have some framework um, to be able to almost the way I see it, get back into the roots of the tree um, and in a safe way. So having that resource team, if you like, on hand, ready to sort of travel back with you is um, a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, absolutely. Is and I think because my work's so um, informed by schema therapy as well, the clients will often spontaneously bring their own healthy adult into those images as well, and that can be really powerful for them yeah. in their in their healing journey. And bringing their own healthy adult part with them, what do you think that actually does for their inner child? What is it that that healthy adult um, does for their inner child? 
Look, I think it really um, promotes the co-consciousness of those parts together. And so once they've experienced that in the imagery, I find that they're often able to do that much more frequently in real life. So when they're triggered by something and they kind of find themselves in that vulnerable child mode, there's sort of almost an automatic, you know, the healthy adult starts coming into that and can then, you know, reparent them through the current situations in their life as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I think one of my other guests, Cecile, was talking about that sort of future orientating that maybe at, well, at one point in their life, they may have been alone and not have had a parent who had the capacity to do that. But once they're able to meet their adult self, they can now future orientate that they have resources that they can bring into whatever situation they're going through. And I I think that's why it creates such strong behaviour changes because, you know, it's it's meeting the original need. Meeting the original need. Yeah, yeah. So who did you do your attachment informed training with? So I did mine with Mark Brain, but Annabelle was one of the, um, I think, co-facilitators, if that's what you would call it. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, great. So for people that are interested, I will put in the show notes some just some links for, to the attachment-informed EMDR training. And I'm interested, I'm throwing you some unscripted questions here, Sherry, so <laughs> I'm keeping you on your toes. Um, I'm interested because you're a consultant as well, an EMDR mm-hmm. consultant, and often as consultants we are putting um, practitioners through the accreditation pathway um, um, as a way to deepen their learning um, around the fidelities of standard protocol. So this is this question. I'm I'm I, I'm I'm going to actually start asking a lot of my guests this question. But why do you feel it's necessary to not just have standard protocol? under your belt as an EMDR therapist? Why do you think it's useful to go on and do extra learning and have other protocols there aside from just standard protocol? Well, I think for so many clients, there's, you know, the human mind is so complex. And and so like you're saying, it's the unicorn of that single incident trauma. It's you know, I don't think I've seen it, and if I have, it would only be a handful of times. Um, but more often than not, there's quite a lot of complexity in um, the way the mind is structured, and so there's often, you know, like if we use that um, analogy of the train on the tracks, and there's often missing track. Mm-hmm. So I think it's our job as EMDR clinicians to be able to fill in that track, and it's all the protocols outside the standard protocol that are going to keep that train moving nice and smoothly. Yeah, um, but you know the different techniques that we can train in to add to our toolbox. Yeah, I love that metaphor. Yeah, and so working with your clients that live alongside of eating disorders, is there a common amount of time that you see them for? Is it longer ongoing therapy? What What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, it does tend to be longer term. The majority of my caseload I've had for two or three years at least. Mm-hmm. Some of them longer. Um, yep. you know, generally more intensive intervention in the beginning, and then they'll slowly start to spread their um, sessions out. You know, most of my clients 
monthly, but they've been, you know, they've been around for so long and they're just chipping away at all those old traumas while they're really, I guess, stepping into their power. They're healing from mm. all that, their old stuff. Yeah. Um, I see therapy. It's not just um, about healing the trauma, but it's about the growth that happens post trauma as well and really mm. um, letting them step into their power. Yeah. And I can imagine you would provide a beautiful sense of safety and offer a beautiful attachment sort of model for them in their in in the work you're doing. That's the aim, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so once some of those early attachment wounds are processed that they were using the behavior to help them navigate in some way, once those early wounds are processed, do you feel that there needs to be almost like a negotiation with the parts that have been trying to support them? Or how do you go about um, repurposing that behaviour, if you like? So I guess sometimes the parts work happens before we do the trauma processing. Sometimes it's after, um, but it's often about a negotiation and getting them on board, creating common goals between all the parts Um, and usually it's, you know, something along the lines of we're just trying to get love or we're just trying to protect them from criticism or things like that. So once we understand the function, and so once we understand the function of that, we can really work with those parts to do something that's actually adaptive to get those, um, unmet attachment needs, unmet emotional needs met. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is that process, isn't it, of, helping to process and metabolize the 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 pain and the wound so therefore the protector parts the avoidant parts the dissociative parts will be more willing to be repurposed um and therefore potentially the whole client's internal system can be on board for more value based behaviors yeah, absolutely. And th- yeah. things that are much more adaptive in their current environment. Yeah, in their current environment. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so if there are people that are really interested in your work and are interested in learning more about working with clients with eating disorders, um, do you offer any consultation or groups specific to working with eating disorder? clients? Yep. So I do one-on-one consultations. Um, I was running some groups this year and I'll be doing those again next year, some with just a general focus um, and others that are more um, based on the um, accreditation process. Um, But it would generally be for complex cases where there's, you know, many with eating disorders, but also just complex cases in general. Wonderful. And so we'll put some um, info in the show notes about how people can track you down. Um, In your consultancy work, are there any themes that come up regularly for you with people who are learning um, around sort of protocols or any common questions that you hear a lot? I think the parts work would be the biggest one. And then just managing the challenges that come with, you know, parts that don't want to 
access other parts or that don't want to access affect or don't want to access trauma material. Um, You know, they're blocking to protect the client from those things. So a lot of that's probably one of the most common questions is, well, how do, how do we work with this? Yeah. Yeah. So those sort of resistant parts or protector parts, the back off buddy parts, um, what, what what's your go-to when you're when you have a client that has a part like that holding consciousness or in the driver's seat so a lot of the time I'd be using something like the progressive approach um, which is some of Dolores Mosquera's work Um, so that's things like processing phobias of you know affect attachment you know, trauma material, things like that. So they're kind of microprocessing techniques that just tend to soften those yeah. protector parts to yeah. help them get on board with, you know, actually accessing the trauma material that needs to be processed. Yeah. Um, so working, is that so working with the fears of the protector parts? I guess, I guess you can look at it that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. um in terms of your advice to people that are just starting out with EMDR, so if people have just finished their training, um, what would your advice be? I think just give it a go um, and find a good consultant that you can, you know, have to guide you on that journey because it is so different from so many of the techniques that we're generally taught. Mm. Um, If you've got someone that's going to guide you, I think it's extremely helpful. Um, And also just have fun with it and be creative. Once you've got that standard protocol down pat, just just create and co-create with the client. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that advice. I love that concept of the art and science of EMDR and that we can really bring um, ourselves and um, we can work with what's in the room and, and I think the more we can relax into that, um, and that comes with practice, doesn't it? It um, does. Then um, it's, there's that there's that co sort of creation going on between us and the client. Yeah. And I yeah. think you know the attunement, the the needs are just as high for attunement with EMDR as any other therapy modality. So yeah, I think if they can, you know, clinicians can focus on that. That's it's a wonderful resource to have when they're doing EMGR processing. Yeah, yeah. So another wonderful thing that you are currently doing is our community um, Facebook group, the um, the EMDRA Australian and New Zealand Facebook page. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about the history of that and what your aims were with that Facebook group? So I think at the beginning it was just a suggestion and whoever had the suggestion didn't have the spoons to create the group. So I put my hand up and created it and it was basically a place for us to just indulge our EMDR nerdiness Um, (laughs) and it just grew from there. Yeah. So how many, approximately how many members does that group have now? I think we've got 1,400 yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And have you seen, how long has it been in existence for? Mm, two or three years, maybe. Okay. And do you feel like the growth has been more recent or did it sort of grow right from the start quickly? I think it's just been pretty steady the whole time. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, what are your what are your hopes for that group? So, I think initially it was really just a place for us to, you know, chat about EMDR techniques. But I think um, I was having a discussion with Caroline Burrows a few months ago just about the number of people that train in EMDR that don't end up. Um, following through on using that as a modality. So I think if we can even double the amount of people that are actually, you know, got the confidence to start using it and continue using it, it's it's a game changer for yeah. mental health for our clients, I think. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And one of the things that I really appreciate about when I when I first did my training and found that group was feeling like I'm stepping into a community of practitioners who are actually really supportive of each other um, and sort of want to cheer each other on. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a wonderful place to, for people to share resources and, you know, find consultants and find training and yep. just generally, I think, you know, for many of us, we're in private practice, so it's quite isolating and having, you know, that online community that we can reach out to is really helpful. Yeah. So on behalf of our New Zealand and Australia community, I would really like to thank you for all of your time and effort that you put into that group and for for holding a safe space and for your constant reminders about not putting too many client details that keep (laughs) us all ethically on track. Um, so I think, yeah, it's it it is a it's a wonderful community, and I'm hoping that potentially some people that might not know about it, um, and may may be listening. How, what's the best way for them to find that group? I think probably just using a Facebook search function, mm-hmm. um, and you can probably put a link in the show notes. I'm guessing, sure. Um, but yeah, so come along and join us. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, so one of the questions that I often ask our guests is how you keep yourself fresh in the work. Um, what works for you to hold any sort of burnout or, uh, yeah, just that sort of wear and tear at bay? What works for you, Sherry? Holidays. Holidays. <laughs> Lots yeah. of holidays. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of professional development, so I spend a lot of time investing my time and money into doing that because I think it really keeps me quite passionate about the work that I'm doing. So I think yeah. that's quite helpful to to just keep that energy up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. It feels like often even just being in the presence of others that are doing similar things with their lives and continuing to be stretched and keeping creative is um, something that can help really sustain us in the work. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, um, Sherry, for for being part of our podcast today. Um, thanks for all the work you're doing and for growing our community in the eating disorder specialty. And um, it's a great opportunity for you to be able to reach out to Sherry via the show notes, jump into her consultation groups, and of course, jump onto that Facebook page and help us to know you're there. So thank you again, Sherry, for today. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Tracy. You're welcome. So thank you for being with us today on Understanding EMDR. Feel free to reach out to Sherry via the show.
show notes or myself via tracylynch.com.au. And we're sending you warmth, kindness and understanding. Bye for now.